Howdy pilgrims, welcome back to Venture Pill. Here's the breakdown for this week's dose. First, we'll tell y'all about a new internet game called, well, Internet Game, that is being backed by one of the founders of HQ Trivia, if you remember them from way back in 2018. This game raised $7 million for their second season of a Squid Games-style Web3 contest. Then, you'll hear about Landa, which just announced a $25 million Series A. The platform enables users to tap into the lucrative real estate market via fractional ownership for as little as $5. Wow. And next, we will get into Spark Charge, the world's first mobile charging network for electric vehicles, after they announced a Series A extension led by Cleveland Avenue. And to round out this week's Charged Up episode, we're going to geek out about SeatGeek's recent massive $238 million Series E. The popular ticketing platform looks to continue investing in its innovative products, strengthen its relationships with partners, and streamline the ticket purchasing process for customers just like you and me. Well, Sam, we got another hefty dose on the docket for today. Let's get started. Indeed, let's jump right in. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. This is Venture Pill with your hosts, Brandon and Sam. We're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of startups and venture capital to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, first company of the day is a more unique one. It's more of a project, an NFT project, a game. It's called the Internet Game, and it just announced what they're calling a $7 million seed round, which uh, had participation from Dragonfly Capital and many others, including Sean Purry's Milk Road and even the Winklevoss Capital, the Winklevoss Twins. The Winklevi. <laughs> <laughs> the Winklevi, yeah. And Internet Game is kind of exactly as it might sound. It's basically a game on the Internet where players need to mint an NFT to participate. Right, and notably, this project happens to be backed by one of the founders of the ever-popular HQ Trivia, a craze most of us, I know I sure do, remember from a few years back. Yeah, that was those were some crazy times, just logging on every night and competing for prizes. Seriously, they had, they had me and I think a lot of us around the country logging in every single night just to play some trivia. Millions every night, it was wild. It was awesome. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the company has since declared bankruptcy after some complications with its hosts as well as increasing competition in that style of game show. Right. So, yeah, I guess this guy is getting back in action with a new style of game. And the first season of Internet Game was actually in March of this year with over 8,000 players minting $2.2 million in NFTs to participate. Players then had the chance to compete for coveted blue chip NFTs like Bored Apes and CryptoPunks, among a lot of other prizes back in March. Mm, those are truly the blue chip NFTs. Yeah. Um, and it, So how it works is it's kind of an online Squid Game style setup. And for those who don't know Squid Game, maybe didn't see the show somehow, it's basically if you lose, you're out. You don't have any chance. The participants that remained after the five competitions earned an exclusive NFT that granted them access to special games and future events. Furthermore, the top 100 players earned even more prizes worth collectively over $1 million. 
Right. So I, that's a big chunk of the 2.2 million raised uh, through the NFT mint. And so a big, a big part of that is going directly back to the players uh, for those prizes. And in season two, or as they're calling it, bear market battle. Love uh, that. Yeah, love that. Is actually starting on September 12th. So not too far after this episode goes live. And it's running through September 23rd. So short season made up of what they're what they're saying is going to be six games this go around, and we imagine the prize pool this time will be even larger than season one. Uh, so should be really exciting to see how it plays out. Yeah, best of luck to all participating in the bear market battle. Let us know if you're a pilgrim and you're playing. We'd love to hear how that goes. A little into the mission with the internet game is a to make Web three more fun, as well as onboarding more people into Web three and make it even more accessible for people who otherwise wouldn't care about tokens or wallets, any of that classic jargon that confuses <laughs> half of us. Yeah. And it also allows dollars and non-crypto ways, so that probably means credit cards, debit cards, bank accounts, to participate. Sure, this is a game much like HQ Trivia, but I think the Web3 angle is both a mission of theirs and a strategic angle in the sense that Part of what led to HQ's demise was they weren't really able to monetize it very well. I think they ended up having to keep raising the prize pool as it got more and more popular. And at some point, it became like a problem of how are they actually going to make a profit from this? Uh, while they had a captivated audience, it, it didn't end up working out. So this Web3 model allows them to, I guess, align the incentives a little bit more, giving back to the participants through better prizes. Um so it is a strategic angle, but I think their mission is pretty cool as well. Like getting people that would have normally participated in HQ to onboard into a Web3 ecosystem uh, reminds me of Sweatcoin almost. Like right. getting a lot of the mainstream to partake in something that, that just seems fun. And all of a sudden they're using tokens maybe without even knowing it. Right. Agreed with you through and through there. And I think it's also testament to gaming and how it's such a great way to break barriers to entry for something like Web3 and other educational purposes that we're continuously seeing gaming get more and more involved as the main mechanism of breaking that ice. Yeah, it continues to prove itself time and time again as uh, a leader in many industries and getting people involved and seeing how people interact with the new technology. Uh, so this will be yet again another example of that, and we'll be interested to... I don't know that I'm going to participate in the internet game, but uh, it'll be interesting maybe to tune in and, and see what they are. I, mean, I, I guess we didn't really look deeply into what the actual games are, but I think they're just deemed simple, fun internet games. Game on. <laughs> game on, indeed. For our second story of this week's dose, Landa just announced a $25 million Series A, led by NFX, Viola Ventures, 83 North, and others. This brings the company to $33 million raised in total equity, as well as a $62 million raise in debt financing. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's not too often we cover a good hefty portion of debt, so right. I'd love to see that sprinkled in there. Through a fractional ownership model, Landa basically enables individuals to access the real estate market for as little as $5. Now, this might sound familiar based on a couple of other companies we've discussed mm -hmm. on the pill in the past, but something that called out to us was that minimum investment of only 5 bucks. That was much lower than what we had seen. And it goes back to their mission uh, at Landa, which 
is that they believe regardless of age, income, background, everybody should have the chance to invest in real estate. Right. As you mentioned, I think I remember with the other companies like this we've mentioned, and the first one that comes to mind is Arrived. But I think there the minimum investment was $100. So you could build out a portfolio of 10 properties for $1,000, whereas with Landa, you can do that for as little as $50, um, which is pretty remarkable diversification there. And building upon that mission you mentioned, with traditional home ownership becoming increasingly unattainable, Landa helps users break down those barriers to entry and empowers us to build wealth in real estate. And so investors can benefit from both the long-term appreciation and gains of the value of the house, as well as enjoying monthly dividend incomes from their properties. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the app allows you to fully manage your portfolio at your fingertips from your smartphone. Uh, so the easy to use and highly secure interface allows investors to browse properties, purchase shares in those properties, and have a very simple overview of their portfolio. Right. And there's also an educational component, too. So the platform provides a free educational tool called Street Smarts, which love the name there. Yeah to help individuals learn the ropes of real estate and also build out a strong portfolio of their own. Yeah, I think that is one of the barriers to entry. Maybe not one that they, you know, mentioned there at the top that that we talked about, but you know, if they can educate, that's only going to increase the amount of usage and transactional volume that they get through the platform. Um, so cool feature there. And we wanted to note that Landa ensures that every home listed on the platform is safe and well-maintained for tenants through a responsible property management structure. So they take care of all the management logistics, think screening and acquiring properties, addressing maintenance requests, and even collecting rent. Right. They really make it as seamless as possible and help users avoid some of the frequent headaches that come with property ownership. So that's also another reason to check out this platform. And it's already demonstrating some pretty impressive traction. It's got 22,000 investors currently using the app with over 400 units to choose from, spanning across seven real estate markets. So currently, Landa has properties in Atlanta and NYC. But with this influx of funding, they plan to expand into Charlotte, Birmingham, Orlando, and Jacksonville, some of the hottest real estate markets in the United States these days. Yeah, I got to say, the way you said Birmingham <laughs> makes it sound like it's in England, not Alabama. I'm, I'm talking Peaky Blinders, Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Birmingham. <laughs> That's fair. It's actually surprising, though, that Austin didn't quite make this list. Maybe they need to raise a little bit more money to tap into this, you know, crazy hot market over here. But True. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're in Atlanta and NYC and looking to go into Charlotte, Tampa, I mean... Austin isn't too far off from that list, but I would have expected to see them. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a crowded market for the mm -hmm. fractionalized real estate apps. Because I think the other ones we've looked into did have Austin as an available right. option. Yeah, so we kind of want to wrap up the talk on Landa in the context of the competitive landscape, right? We've covered other companies like Arrived. Uh, there's even Adam Newman getting in the action. We right. don't know exactly how it could be with regard to some sort of fractional ownership. So all that to say, this is a hot topic. We love real estate tech and specifically breaking down barriers to home ownership as well as you know breaking down barriers to it as an asset class, which if you know anything about wealth building, it's oftentimes a really great way to 
build wealth over time is through real estate. So, you know, the mission here is good. It, maybe it's a rising tides lifts all boats type of situation, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of competitors out there. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I think just given the economic and public market conditions of the past year or two, increasingly more attention has flocked towards real estate as an investment vehicle and a way to build wealth, as you mentioned. And so it makes sense that we're seeing increasingly more of these startups offer something like fractional ownership, where again, people like you and me who have five, ten dollars to spare can all of a sudden become extremely diluted, but still, you know, fractional owners in a real estate property that will hopefully appreciate over time, be rented out and only only make money in the long run. Well, the beauty is, I think, in a competitive market, right, they're going to be able to drive the prices down, the price of ownership down for people like us. If they're going to have to compete on things like, you know, uh, minimum investment or fees and things like that, that'll drive the costs down and make it even more attractive for folks like us to invest and diversify our investment portfolios into real estate. So I'm excited to see kind of who prevails and how this market evolves. And you bet we're going to keep you guys updated on on what we're seeing in this space. Right. And stay tuned for an episode in the coming months where you'll be able to get fractional ownership for as little as $1. (laughs) Yeah, at this rate. (laughs) All right. Our third company for today is called Spark Charge, and they just announced a $7 million Series A extension, which was financed by Cleveland Avenue, a firm out of Chicago. Love to see that. Uh, This comes off of a pretty recent $23 million Series A in May that was co-led by Tail Venture Partners and Pendulum. And something awesome that we noticed and just wanted to note for our listeners is that all of these firms have a specific focus on investing in founders of color, which is something we always like to highlight. Also, that previous round saw participation from prominent investors and celebrities, such as Mark Cuban through his personal investment firm, as well as popular rapper Pusha T. <laughs> I can't believe that smattering of investors, but we never are, you know, the the rounds we see never cease to amaze us with folks like <laughs> the Chainsmokers, yeah, Pusha T, say, like athletes. I'm, and everything. I'm surprised the Chainsmokers didn't get in on this one. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but a little bit more on Spark Charge. They're actually the world's first mobile electric vehicle charging network. Uh, Josh Aviv, is the founder, and he came up with the idea back in his dorm room at Syracuse in 2014. Yeah, really interesting because I feel like the electric vehicle market has just expanded and changed so drastically since 2014. Yeah. Um, And it makes sense because since then, they have modified the prototype and brought it to market, and they are now expanding on their charging as a service model through their app currently. This service allows EV owners to charge their cars wherever they may be, whether that's in a parking lot at work or in a driveway at home or at lunch on the side of a highway. (laughs) And since launching, they have serviced hundreds of cars in L.A., San Francisco, San Jose, and Dallas, delivering over 100,000 miles of range. And they have deemed this, like you said, charging as a service or CAS. A S SAS. <laughs> SAS with a C. And the idea could be pretty revolutionary, I think, for electric vehicle adoption. Yeah, agreed with you there. If you keep tabs with the development and adoption of electric vehicles, one of the main hurdles has always been the ease with which you can charge these vehicles, as well as the cost and accessibility associated with this. Definitely. Whenever I'm talking about electric vehicles with people, it always comes down to like, yeah, I want one, but you know, the range is 
is short and gas is cheaper or easier to get. And so these are the kinds of things that the industry are trying to get over as a whole. Right. I don't know if I'll be able to take the Tesla on the road trip all the way up to Maine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But with currently, this service kind of addresses many of those issues. So you're able to charge while you're at work. And all of a sudden, the worries of a long wait at a charging station or even the lack of charging station in your area are now gone. So for a subscription, you can schedule the charger to come out to a specific location and obviously set the time to charge your vehicle while you're not using it. And they have three different subscription levels based on how much charging you'll need each month. So you can get pretty granular with expectations of how much charging you think you'll need. Yeah, this is a very cool company. I'm sure in addition to the technology of the charging units themselves, but I think with specifically regard to this service, this kind of Uber for charging, uh, I I haven't heard of that before. They claim they're the first ones to be doing it. Um, You know, I've never owned an electric vehicle. I don't know too many people that do. So I wonder how big the issue is. Like, Generally at home, I think people have chargers at work. There's a lot of chargers. It'll be interesting to see how big of a need this is. I imagine it is big, but I don't know it personally, you know. Yeah, and it seems like a need that will only expand as electric vehicles become more widely adopted across the country and across the world, really. So it is interesting to see that this is kind of the first product of charging as a service that we've seen before. And I have no doubt that this will become a at least semi-crowded market space in due time. Definitely. All right, nerds, (laughs) for our fourth story in this week's Dose, we're going to be talking about SeatGeek, which just announced a massive $238 million Series E, (laughs) led by longtime investor Excel, with participation from Wellington Management, Arctos Sports Partners, and Ryan Smith, who is the founder of Qualtrics, as well as Smith Entertainment Group which is actually the majority owner of the Utah Jazz. And the news here comes after SeatGeek terminated a SPAC deal that would have taken the company public. Right, and this is alongside some of their competitors in the news uh, of recent as well. StubHub recently considered going public, but similarly put its plans on hold to keep an eye on market conditions. We also saw Vivid Seats, another major player in the ticketing space, went public last year and is likely regretting it now with the stock kind of hovering and and a little bit down, about 3.3% last we saw. Yeah, it's really interesting to keep tabs and see where the main players in this space, how they are feeling about it. It seems like at least StubHub and SeatGeek are being, you know, responsibly cautious in terms of going public and raising money, um, which is certainly a good trait to have. And This all comes following SeatGeek announcing that they are currently on target to double their revenue this year, and that's following strong numbers in 2021, where the ticketing platform beat predictions with $186 million in net revenue. I think, you know, as we crawl out of this COVID world, there's just so much more interest in live events, things like sports games, concerts, Broadway shows, and all these other prominent live events. Definitely. Yeah, and so they'll use this funding to continue investing in their products, their customers, and their partners. And we wanted to highlight a couple of products in addition to their traditional marketplace uh, that many of you may not have heard of. And one of them is called Rally, which is its custom in-app experience that gives fans personalized features based on the venue that they're looking at. 
And another novel product offered by SeatGeek is SeatGeek Swaps, which is the first ticket return feature offered by a major ticketer. This product allows customers to return their tickets to a sports game, a concert, or any other live event up to 72 hours prior to the event if they can no longer attend, which I think we just wanted to highlight because this is different than what all of the other major ticketing platforms do. Normally, you have to kind of deal with the hassle of reselling it, and StubHub is going to take a minor fee off of the yeah. top as well. Um, and it kind of just becomes a deeper and deeper ditch that you dig yourself into. That sounds so much easier if I can't go to one anymore. I don't want to have to deal with selling it and like underprice it to make sure I get it back. Like I'm sure they just give you, you know, a, a low to medium ball deal for your ticket and then you get to you get to put it towards another one in the future. And I'm sure we've all heard of SeatGeek of course, especially if we're looking for sports tickets, but we wanted to highlight some of their public recognitions in the business world. They were actually recognized this year in Fast Company's Most Innovative Companies list for the third time in five years. And they also recently landed the number three spot on uh, one of our favorites, Andreessen Horowitz, <laughs> their prestigious Marketplace 100 list. So they're continuing to innovate. Um, that's, that's really what it's going to take in a crowded marketplace like this. A marketplace of marketplaces, if you will. <laughs> wow. Um, marketplace of Mageddon? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but you're, you're totally right. It's such a crowded market space, so it makes sense that we see SeatGeek here just trying to build as much of a moat for itself as it can and just differentiate through its products and through these accolades that it's receiving in the business world. Um, and I think it's all testament to how strong of a platform they've built. I mean, it's one of the major players in the space and seems like it's not showing any signs of slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I, I do think, and I know we mentioned this earlier, the rising tides lift all boats scenario analogy. I think it's the same thing here. Like you said, people are itching to get back out into live events, and I think that's really catalyzed the live event space. And I think there is room for multiple players, and SeatGeek is carving out a nice space with these innovative products. You and I were talking about this before we started recording, but with this rise in going to live events that that pie is just becoming increasingly huge this is grandma's thanksgiving special oh, pie oh yeah baby and a growing pie feeds all mouths <laughs> <laughs> that's the analogy yeah <laughs> and i think that does it for our 31st dose here uh, another hefty one for the listeners out there um, as always thanks for listening and be sure to keep an eye out for some upcoming interviews sam and i are looking forward to getting back into the interview grind and uh, they're, they'll be coming up shortly. So Yeah, we've got some good guests on the docket here uh, and more to come. Uh, please let us know. If you know anybody who wants to come on, there's people you want us to reach out to, we want to please the pilgrims um, and share some cool founders and investors' stories. So stay tuned. Right, and thanks as always for listening. Signing off. Go Horns. Go Horns. <laughs> thanks for listening. Join us next week for your next dose of startups and venture capital on Venture Pill. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibes a little low key, okie dokie. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to. Screw Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Birmingham. Birmingham. <laughs> alright.